0: The history of Rocky Horror is a history of cinema.
1: For everything you like about Rocky Horror, there was at least one film that inspired it.
0: And we're going to review them all on... Episode Zero! everybody and welcome back to episode zero, the Rocky Horror Picture Show podcast, where we don't really talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <coughs> scream, Wilhelm, scream. My <laughs> name is
1: William Bibiani. I am a critic, everybody calls me Bibbs. It's, it's supposed to be Scream, Scream for your lives. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold, I too am a critic. Uh, I don't have a cute nickname. Uh, you don't have to call me anything if you don't want to. You can call him Whitney. You can it's call polite. me Whitney. Or hate you, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, every every episode
0: of the Episode Zero podcast, we look at the prehistory of a pop culture phenomenon to see how some of those popular movies ever made are really the byproduct of the movies that preceded and inspired them. We already did Star Wars. We're over two. Th- we're about two thirds of the way through our look back at the Rocky mm-hmm. Horror Picture Show. We're starting to wind down a little bit, but there's something that we hadn't really discussed in great detail, that is very particular to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that is that the Rocky Horror Picture Show isn't just a movie. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, the classic cult musical that everybody knows and loves,
1: uh, it's also an interactive experience. And who knew better? <laughs> <laughs> who really pioneered uh, the, a, certain, um, a certain degree of audience interactivity, Than uh, one of the master of film gimmickry himself William Castle Yeah William Castle is one of the best filmmakers That is a a bold
0: statement that Whitney uh, Seibel believes in And let me tell you something mm -hmm. Uh, I am a late uh, uh, addition I, I have only recently discovered William Castle Relatively speaking Within the last few years Have I actually started really delving into the filmography of William Castle he is considered a schlockmeister. He is considered a showman. To some, he would be considered a con man. And Whitney considers him <laughs> one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And the more I delve into the filmography of William Castle, the more I am convinced that Whitney is right.
1: <laughs> well, uh, well, I am. And, and we'll talk about that. Uh, specifically, how it relates to his film, Mr. Sardonicus. <laughs>
2: I have searched for a unique way whereby a motion picture audience can actually decide the climax of a picture. I have found such a way. My latest picture, Mr. Sodonicus*, offers something no audience has ever had before. The power to determine the fate of a character on the screen. The power to punish. In ancient Rome, spectators could decree life or death to a gladiator, By indicating thumbs up or thumbs down. During the French Revolution, the mobs could condemn a man by merely shouting, to the guillotine. In the early West, vigilantes took the law into their own hands. Today, for the first time, the awful power to punish will be yours. After you see the evil events that made Mr. Sedonicus what he was, you will decide what should be done to
0: him? You know, Sartonicus is creepy, but he really illustrates the
1: great array of sadists all over Hollywood slates. <laughs> uh, Mr. Sartonikus. Uh Well, it's impossible to talk about this era of William Castle's uh, directing career because William Castle was actually uh, just a, a director for hire for many, oh. many years. And he had made yeah. like 40 movies. He made like a bunch of westerns and genre pictures just yeah. on the cheap. Uh, so what you're saying, a, it, is, it is possible to talk about his career. So, well, it, it's possible to, to it's impossible to talk about this point in his career without addressing uh, sort of the master that he had become at that point. Yeah. He had made about 40 movies, and then uh, in the late 50s and early 60s, he churned out this really great slate of horror movies that uh, rather f- many of them uh, famously had some sort of gimmick attached to them. Hmm. Uh, William Castle is often compared to Alfred Hitchcock in his open love for the macabre and also his insistence on inserting himself and his own personality into his work.
0: It's very, very common for William Castle to not just make a cameo in his movies, although that'll happen too, but to just flat up flat out just walk up to the screen and say, Hi, I'm William Castle. Welcome to my movie. In this movie, you might see ghosts, so get your goggles out! Like that kind of, just absolute unapologetic, just he's he's your host. He wanted to not only tell fun horror movies, and a lot of his movies are genuinely really good, uh, but he also wanted to be a showman. He wanted to be a ringleader in a cinematic circus and you know, Hitchcock and William Castle were actually, they were contemporaries at this point in their mm-hmm. career, and they were doing similar stuff. Like, Hitchcock had his own Alfred Hitchcock Presents, in which he had effectively branded himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just make movies. Not a lot of filmmakers were household names. Not a lot of filmmakers still are, to most households, but a lot of people don't follow movies the way that the rest of us do, but um Hitchcock was, because he had not only branded The type of stories that he told But he connected himself and indeed his silhouette to them Mm. So William Castle was doing the same thing William Castle was also telling like big gimmick movies And trying to like grab people in the theaters With things that they had never seen before At the very least promises thereof And Alfred Hitchcock started following suit With films like Psycho which broke all the rules Mm. Or
1: The Birds which also broke all the rules (laughs) Well, uh, Psycho was an interesting case, in fact, because – and and Psycho is usually the one credited for doing this – but people would not be admitted into the film – uh, after a certain amount had elapsed. Like, once the film has started, you won't be admitted. And yeah. this was, came from a time when people would just sort of... Showtimes were posted, and people could come and go into movie theaters whenever. Yeah. There were two features, there were cartoons, there were newsreels, and they would just repeat, repeat it all on a loop. There was
0: no expectation that you would be there at the beginning yeah. of the program. You could come in any time.
1: Mm. And, and we still use the phrase, this is where we came in uh, to this mm. day, to describe, you know, you go you come into a movie and you come in halfway and then you wait around for the the replay, and then you watch the first part again. Uh, it, it wasn't so sacred an experience at one point. And, uh, but that gimmick that you will not be, this is such a shocking film, all of the information is vital, you need to watch this one in order, is a William Castle gag that Hitchcock is clearly ripping off. Yeah. Now, William Castle didn't do subtle things about the the information that's going to be handed to you in the film he did things like plastic skeletons and uh he had uh people posing as nurses signing uh you know checking on people who might be scared to death during the the film they will Uh, check
0: your blood pressure during mm -hmm. the movie just to make sure you're
1: not too scared of what william castle is doing this week there were there were two gimmicks in the tingler uh which is one of the best films of all time Mm -hmm. uh where there was an uh, evidently, they had an act, a plant, like an actor in the theater mm-hmm. who would scream and freak out and an, an actor playing a nurse would come in and escort them out like there it was just too much yeah. for them. Like the lights would come up and they'd actually have to stop, stop the movie so they could put on this little mini show. And then, of course, there was also Percepto, which was the vibrating seat cushions. Percepto is maybe... I've never... Every once in a while, they'll do
0: a screening in Los Angeles, or they have in the past, Mm. uh, of The Tingler, and they'll actually install Percepto into the theater. Mm. The idea of The Tingler... And by the way, The Tingler, arguably William Castle's best movie. Mm. You should totally see it. We had to pick one uh, for this particular film, and we thought Sardonicus had the most overlap Mm. with Rocky Horror. But in any case... The Tingler is a must-see. The idea of the Tingler is that Vincent Price has discovered that there is an invisible <laughs> parasite living on your spine. Mm. And if it attacks you, the, it, it no, like feeds off your fear, It's right? when,
1: when you get scared, like yeah. whatever like chemicals your body is producing causes it to get incredibly large. Yeah. It's this strong little centipede-like monster that
0: just sort of grows on your spine. And the only way to prevent it from killing you when you get too scared is to scream,
1: and mm, Screaming
0: and, releases, I don't know, endorphins or something, and it just, just placates it, the it monster. Re- and, it
1: releases the fear. And that's yeah. that's an amazing movie because it also deals there's like this meta-narrative about like part of it takes place in a movie theater. So yeah. we get the monster within the movie theater you're actually in, and well, also the this commentary is, on old world silence and anyway. But
0: the gimmick, as I was trying to explain, yeah. is there's a point in the movie in which they're at a movie theater, as Whitney explained, and the creature the tingler escapes and at that point like the there's an announcement from the speakers the movie goes dark and you are told in no uncertain terms directly you the audience the tingler is loose in the theater (laughs) scream for your lives and at that point random seats in the movie theater had been outfitted with buzzers that would buzz your spine <laughs> so all of a sudden you'd little, feel the tingler, and you little, go little ah! electric little electric
1: buzzers. Would yeah, would vibrate, on, vibrate in random seats throughout the theater. Which
0: is which is probably the most genius I think William Castle ever got hmm. with his gimmicks. Um, he also did things like throw skeletons at the audience, and uh, you would have like the cowards' corner where you if you
1: you could like duck out too, of a movie. If you're too scared. You had to go sit in the cowards' corner. Yeah. Uh, and, and not all the gimmicks were great. In no, one of, in one of them you, they uh, outfitted some some of the theater seats with seat belts because it's going to be a real wild ride. That's that's just not buckle, really you just buckle your seatbelt. Nothing else happens. Yeah, that's,
0: there's no interaction there. It's not mm-hmm. fun. Uh, but when it came to Mister Sardonicus, William Castle did something that was a, and we'll explain. It's a total lie.
1: <laughs> it's just it was, a lot. It was 100% a con
0: But the idea is neat mm. And the implementation is neat And the movie around it is good So the idea of Mr. Sardonicus its a We'll walk you through the plot in a minute But it's a horror movie about uh, A mad sadist who uh, Kidnaps a doctor And forces him to Cure this horrible rictus face That he's got and at the end of the movie, Sardonicus has done such horrible things. There's a moment where the movie stops and William Castle well, is back. Appears on screen. Yep. He he was there for the intro, to talk to you about how cool this movie is you're about to watch. And then he shows up and says, Hey, you've seen the movie. Uh, that's Sardonicus, right? What a dick. Anyway. <laughs> I gave you, when you entered the theater We gave you a punishment poll And the idea is, it's like a gladiator arena It's got a a thumb thumb on it, you can turn it
1: thumbs up or thumbs down
0: And the idea is this When I say hold up your punishment polls You're going to hold up your punishment poll And it's going to say thumbs up or thumbs down And you're going to decide whether we're going to Let Sardonicus go Because you understood and empathized with him Or if you're going to give him his just desserts And there's this adorable bit where william castle says okay hold up your cards and then he's like okay one two three four uh you in the fourth row could you sit down i can't see the people behind you. <laughs> thank you very much okay and the couple on the left is that one vote or two it's two votes okay great thank you okay punishment it is <laughs> and the gag is he would tell the projectionist Run the 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 evil ending Basically hmm. And then the projectionist Would do so uh, That's not how Projectionists work
1: No No <laughs> like, and... That's
0: too late At that point <laughs>
1: the, the, <laughs> the movie's already On a reel You're not gonna yeah. Take it off And, and run the,
0: And there's only like Two minutes left In the movie So they're not gonna Like
1: add another reel To it mm-hmm. Like right at the Last second so yeah, if, if I were projecting that, I would turn the projector off to make people think <laughs> I was like loading up a new reel. See, that would be clever. Yeah, yeah. that would be clever. And, and maybe that was an instruct an instruction maybe. to the projectionist to make fun. it look a little more genuine. It's not
0: the version of the movie I watched, but um, in any case, yeah. And then there's an evil ending, and we'll talk about the ending of the movie uh, in a minute. Yeah, but the, the, I, there's
1: there's no kind ending. Yeah, it was never shot. Nope. it was there's, never made. A lot of
0: people <laughs> who wanted to believe in the gimmick thought, "Oh, maybe there was." A kind ending mm-hmm. and the gimmick didn't work so they just went with the evil one and just hoped no one would care it's like no near as we can tell that was never photographed they never bothered Those. there was no intention of letting Sardonicus off the I, hook I don't, I don't
1: think William Castle even wrote an ending like, I, it, Well, it it doesn't
0: just... make, you, watch, you look at it and the ending doesn't even and we'll talk about why but the, having a nice ending doesn't even make sense based on the ending that we got mm. like the movie's over at that point if there's a nice
1: ending the movie's done so it doesn't make any sense at all um, but uh, William Castle does encourage the audience yeah. to give the cruel ending, to punish yeah. him. Yeah,
0: why dare you? To punish
1: Sardonicus. Like, well, if you're uh, one of those sensitive types who's like a forgive and forget, I suppose you could let him go off the hook. <laughs> or if you want to get revenge, like a, like a fun person would. Like, he, he is encouraging the audience to... Be actively morally degraded in yeah. that moment. And that that's the really interesting thing about the punishment poll and about Sardonicus in particular. Yeah. Uh, we are, in the same way Michael Haneke did in Funny Games, we are being implicated in the violence. Yeah. And I feel like William Castle, more than any any other filmmaker, understood. That presentation and interaction with an audience, mm. the experience of seeing it in a theater with people around you, mm. is maybe the most vital element of cinema.
0: Well, I think here's here's what William Castle did so beautifully, mm. that there are a lot of brilliant movies that came out before William Castle, and arguably many, many, many that are better than his actual movies. I happen to think he's a legitimately good filmmaker. Mm. Blunt, but legitimately good. Um. The film is typically seen as a passive medium. You sit in your mm. couch or in your chair or in your bed, wherever you watch movies. And then the movie happens to you.
1: Yeah.
0: And then you watch it and maybe you lose yourself in it. Um, that's kind of the idea is that you're just supposed to watch the movie and let the filmmakers do what they do. And then when it's done, you form your own ideas. In my experience, that's not actually how it works your mileage might vary on this. I know we all process information differently and read stories differently, but when I'm watching a movie, I'm engaged with it Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about it. And maybe I'm trying to solve a mystery or maybe I'm wondering how they did that. Or maybe I'm asking myself moral questions about what is going on or, Oh, I hope it gets better than this. Even this is something where I'm actually, I'm actively engaged in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that William Castle wanted to make that subconscious or at the very least that quiet, active part of the brain physical mm. and literal. And I think that's incredibly exciting. And in the wake of stuff like William Castle, where we have had things like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which turned into a live Shadow cast and people mm-hmm. talking back to the screen. We've had a lot of people attempt to play with this more and more and more. We've had a Mystery Science Theater 3000," which is about watching other people watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of actual experiments with literal interactivity in that sardonicus way. Uh, there's a movie written and directed by Bob Gale, the guy who uh, wrote or co-wrote uh, "Back to the Future. called Mr. Payback, an interactive movie.
1: I've seen part of that. It's awful. I
0: heard it's awful. So it's a guy, he's a, it stars uh, Billy Warlock. Yeah, it's Billy Warlock (laughs) from Baywatch and Society. Society's the good one. Um, (laughs) Hey, come on. Baywatch was the biggest thing in the world. It
1: was. He did fine. Luke, Luke stay away from things.
0: Luke is being naughty. Uh, but uh, Mister Payback was about a cyborg uh, who got revenge on people for doing bad things, and the idea yeah, and is was, throughout the movie it was there little would be... things
1: like you parked in my spot, or yeah. You know. And the idea is
0: that throughout the movie, people in the audience would have a little like remote control with like three different buttons on it, and depending on what got the most votes, then they would show you that part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, now at that point, I think they were working with digital, so. I suspect it, it, that one was digital, right? It, it, I mean, it was it was 1995, but it, 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 it was means, LaserDisc. It was on LaserDisc. That's what yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is you could have mm-hmm. branching narratives like that, and then of course, video games started doing that too. And we have like a whole mm-hmm. genre of video games now, which are essentially interactive video movies. movies.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Until Dawn is one of those. It actually stars yeah, like, like Rami Malik. Like it's, and- it's, it's it's like you said the branching narratives like yeah. you, what button you push will change sort of like which story you get yeah or it's, whether it's, this character
0: dies yeah. or lives or I'm, I'm yeah. not
1: sure I, I haven't played any of those so, yeah. but from what I understand like the like there's not much of a gameplay element it's just sort of like choosing what to say and what to do well, it depends. both like single button pushes it depends some some mm. movies sorry, some games have mm. more than others yeah
0: uh but uh, yeah a lot of it's just kind of a quick time event kind of deal yeah, the, 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 idea the, the, the idea is the idea is to basically it's a mm. cinematic experience made. Somewhat more active. Uh, the
1: the problem, and the problem with doing that in cinema, is that cinema isn't. It's it's recorded. It's te- it's based technology based. Uh, what with like Netflix stuff like uh bandersnatch. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the black mirror film. And uh, Netflix has done this a lot actually in the kids section. Uh, we recently Ooh. discovered the captain underpants interactive TV special. Oh, that's where amazing. you can actually make decisions like, Oh, do they, do they draw okay. a picture of a toilet or do they draw a picture of pee? you know? Like, <laughs> it's, it's really that kind of crass humor because it's mm. captain underpants. But yeah, the, the interactiveness is, is a, a pretty fun element. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, film cinema that is for the most part the bulk of its history has not been interactive because it is a kind of a static medium it's yeah. recorded uh, time has always been the most vital element of cinema
0: yeah it takes place within a specific yeah. amount of time mm-hmm. and it has to fill that time mm-hmm. it has to be engaging throughout and, and you
1: can't time. shorten or length it's not like theater where you can like change your performance to lengthen or shorten the play yeah uh, it, it's rigid it's set in yeah. it's set on that film strip uh, so that. William Castle was able to put in these interactive elements using the film technology of the early 1960s is pretty astonishing. It's it's a it's relatively it's, ahead
0: of its time, mm. I would say. It's a really high concept idea and you know, it, it's interesting because he basically he realized that he had a story that was a functionally a morality story. Yeah. And which the protagonist of the story has to decide for themselves just what kind of fate mr sardonicus will receive and i don't know i mean i wouldn't be surprised if they shot the whole movie and then william castle's like it's missing something i need a gimmick and then they just shot this prologue and this punishment poll and just shoved it in there mm-hmm. it works either way uh, tell people about the
1: plot to Mr. Sardonicus, who's been talking a lot about the gimmick, yeah. but I actually also think um, it's a good movie. It, it is a good movie, and it's it's a little unusual for William Castle in that it's a period piece. It takes place in the 1880s. Uh, it starts in London, uh, where we get to meet the, uh, our main character. He's a doctor who's been working on uh, a, like new, new kinds of medicine that haven't been tried before. And in fact, he gets uh, sort of uh, one of the very first uh, hypodermic needles. Ooh, what are those? The, the one that, uh, a kind of needle that punctures the skin. Oh, why would you puncture skin? Well, it's a hollow needle and you can inject medicine directly into people's bodies. Yeah, it doesn't even go right through the stomach anymore. And, the, and he pulls it out of a box and, like, it's not covered or anything. It's just yeah. this needle. Well, they hadn't uh, invented yeah, sanitation yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, so he has all, all of these uh Groundbreaking ideas about the way medicine, the way where medicine should go. And he's good at uh, working on people with paralysis. Yeah. He gets a call from his ex lover mm-hmm. uh, who is uh, played by uh, the doctors played by Ronald Lewis. He gets mm-hmm. a call from Audrey Dalton saying, hey, come to Totoslava. What's it called? Um, oh, go- <laughs> hang on. It, it's, it's, uh, a, it's a fictional Eastern European country. Yeah. Hold on. It's um, uh,
0: I, I can't find it anywhere. It's a fictional yeah. country. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird European yeah. country that is functionally Transylvania from the original Dracula. Yeah.
1: Right. Excuse me, it's called Gorslava. Oh. they go to Gorslava.
0: Okay, everyone, careful where you step. The Gorslava.
1: <laughs> I like Total Slava better. Um, he goes to Gorslava, where of course the
0: townsfolk warn him about this local figure, uh, a gladiator with a very dry
1: wit, Mister Sardonicus. A gladiator? Sounds like doesn't that sound kind of Roman to you? Sardonicus. Sardonicus. He he does admit later on that he took the name from a, a Latin text. There you go. Uh, but yeah, this mysterious Baron Sardonicus, uh, his paramour's new uh, husband. That joke was so that just completely landed with a thud, didn't it?
0: Like, yeah, no one cared. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm off tonight. I apologize. <laughs> Gonna let Whitney take
1: <laughs> point on this podcast. Also, also, I love this movie. So all I like it too. I don't mind at all. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and he has to use his brilliance to cure uh, some problem Doctor Sir- or Baron Sardonicus has. Well, at first he thinks uh, it's his it's his
0: ex lover Maude who's in trouble, hmm. and he's there to potentially protect her from some mysterious ailment that maybe only his medical genius can can do. And then, ha ha! Hmm. Then I'll be seen as so great, and she'll love me forever. Uh and then he gets there and as soon as he gets there he's greeted by this like weird Igor type with one mm. eye crawl yeah his name is crawl he's got like a glaive with him it's very uh and he
1: thud <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's another one Yeah <laughs> My name is William Bibiani I'm a critic everybody calls mm. me thud <laughs> Um but no sooner does he walk into Sardonicus' castle than he hears a woman screaming and he rushes into her room. And this poor woman just has leeches all over her face. Mm. And he's like, what are you doing? You you've put leeches on this woman's face, you monster! And he starts pulling off the leeches, which is not what you're supposed to do with leeches. You're supposed to, like, heat, like, make it warm so the leeches will, like, drop off on their own so they don't, like, just try to rip into your flesh and pull it off and scar. So he's an idiot. Uh, but he, uh, he, he says, okay, I've taken the leeches off of this woman's face. Now, no more leeches. I'm going to go and not check back in.
1: But because we're seeing like this, this kind of horrifying image of this woman with leeches all over her face and they got a jar of real leeches next to her Mm -hmm. to give it a little bit more authenticity. Sure. Uh, it, it sort of, this is before we meet Mr. Sardonicus And there's uh, several scenes before we even meet the character where a servant will come up to the doctor and say, are you going to stop the experiments now? (laughs) And he's getting like, we're really freaked out by this guy. Like clearly something really untoward is going on in this castle. It's like in Dracula. Yeah. And oh, and don't don't go into that room in the hallway. It's yeah, got a
0: giant padlock on it. No one's ever been there's, in there's that room.
1: There's a padlocked room upstairs, and you cannot go inside. There's it's a mysterious person living
0: in the room across the hallway, and when they they're handed food through the door, they hear weird, creepy, slurping noises. There's a lot of build up, and then when he finally goes downstairs to have a nice dinner with his ex girlfriend and Mister Sardonicus, Mister Sardonicus shows up. And he's wearing a creepy, lifelike human mask.
1: <laughs> yep, that covers his whole face.
0: Yeah, and uh, uh, Mr. Sardonicus is played by Guy Rolfe, and the mask looks like Guy Rolfe.
1: Yeah, it was it was like cast on his face.
0: So like, imagine you're watching a horror movie, and it's all this build-up, and like, oh God, who is this horrible, creepy guy? And then Gary Oldman walks in, but he's wearing a mask that looks like Gary Oldman? Mm. Weird. And he says, oh, you're probably wondering about the mask and the leeches and the screaming and the padlock and the weird, creepy monster behind the door. I'll tell you later. First, let's have a nice dinner. (laughs) Everyone be polite and British. Everyone be polite and British. They're
1: they're polite and British, but in a, well, sardonic sort of way. Uh, There's a lot of hatred and animosity and... The the creepy Krull is like standing over there saying things like, Whatever he tells me to do, I do. And uh the makeup on Krull's eye keeps coming off. Yeah. Like it's not the greatest makeup job. No, it's They a give him this cheap. little appliance they put over his eye, and when he stretches his face out, you can like see underneath the appliance mm-hmm. and like he's got a normal eye. Uh but yeah, uh it it this uh, atmosphere of of weird dread is hanging over all of this and then there's a scene which i'm not really sure what exactly is happening in this scene but they call in a bunch of local townswomen yeah they don't really get And into they don't this. they don't explain why they're here it's just this creepy psychosexual yeah. element all yeah. of a sudden a bunch
0: of a bunch of a bunch of young attractive women from town and they're clearly you know impoverished they're not like you know wealthy mm. ladies uh they come in and say like, oh What are we here for? Hmm. Uh, creepiness. Oh, okay. each get a piece of gold, and one of you will be selected by Mr. Sardonicus. You will never see this person again.
1: Okay. And then they... What is it for? Hell if I know. Yeah.
0: And so, uh, you know, Sardonicus selects one of them, the other ladies leave, and as they leave, they hear a horrifying scream, and then we never see that
1: actress again, and we never really get back to that. Well, what I suspect is happening is, uh, Mr. Sardonicus is getting off on this idea of terrifying people.
2: Yeah.
1: And He's a sadist. He, yeah, he's he's a sadist and we yeah. like he just wants to whip off his mask and terrify people what his face looks like now. And he explained, he eventually explains to our uh, the doctor that his face is now frozen. It's paralyzed into this really hideous grin. Yeah. like this artificial grit, like even his nose is stretched yeah. out and his teeth are for yeah. some reason his teeth are also different
0: uh, but whatever it's, a, it's it, i think it's to hide the fact that yeah. it's a mask he's, but like he's basically got, yeah
1: this really scary face he looks he looks, he, about,
0: he looks a lot like um uh
1: was like conrad vite in the man who laughs i was i was
0: going to say conrad vite he also yeah. looks a bit like jack nicholson and uh, batman
1: which are both the Joker. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's got like this mutated face. And then there, there's a flashback sequence where he explains how he got that way. And it's and,
0: a uh, great Tales from the Crypt, you know, Edgar Allan yeah, Poe type yeah, story. Where he, uh, he, he was a young man and he was married and his wife wanted all these fancy things. And his father, who was very naive and had bought lottery tickets his entire life, uh, bought a lottery ticket for the family and then died. And so they buried him, and it was very, very sad and then, like a week later, someone comes in and says, "Hey, I heard you guys got that winning lottery ticket and they're like we we did yeah, your dad bought it. <laughs> oh, snap, so they look oh, around look- trying to find the lottery ticket, and then they realize they buried him with it so they have to rob
1: their father's grave well, and they explain early on uh, when, when the doctor uses the word ghoulish to describe mm. something and they say oh around here we actually believe in ghouls people who dig up bodies and eat them and yeah He's like, well, I don't believe in that. Well, we do it around here, so be careful, don't use the yeah. word ghoulish. Yeah, uh, it's a major faux pas. And uh, we learn why it's because he robbed his own father's
0: grave, and yeah. as and the didn't... shock of seeing his father's. And by the way, his father decomposed quick.
1: No, actually, like I think like a month or so. It still quick. Yeah,
0: still quick. He's basically a skeleton at that point. He he decomposed pretty quick. Mm. Uh, but uh, in any case, like he a... sees his father's like taut rigor mortis smile mm-hmm. and he goes ah and then when we finally see his face again after the shock
1: he has also contorted his face into that mm-hmm. smile and it's stuck that way but yeah total tales from the crypt kind of twist so yeah. he, seeing his dead father's body after he had robbed the grave for a, a lotto ticket they got the lotto ticket
0: yeah he got the money his wife died mm-hmm. we won't get into that but mm. so yeah uh, and then uh, and then he had to relearn how to talk And Without uh,
1: using his lips So he's essentially like a ventriloquist Speaking with his throat Yeah. So he doesn't have to put his lips together His face is just frozen that way But he can still talk
0: Yeah, he can't really eat like a normal person Hence the slurping noises behind the door He's basically been given like super gruel every night Mm. Uh, And he has brought the doctor here To try anything he can do He seems to be on the cutting edge of science To heal his Mm. frozen face The doctor's like Um Okay And then Sardonicus is just like And if you don't I'll like I don't know Kill I'll the kill woman my, you love Kill my wife Who yeah. I know you're in love with or I'll, or I'll Paralyze her face And I'll be really terrible And he's like well, I'm a doctor You didn't have to do that I am
1: Sardonicus and okay. So, well, I have this poison that uh, I've been experimenting with poisons, and this could yeah. relax the muscles in your face. Do it. Well, it'll kill you. Do it anyway. Well, well I you're, don't you're, want to. Do it, or I'll kill your wife.
0: Well, you're making you're speeding through it basically. Yeah. But yeah, so the whole idea is he's been he's now being kept hostage, and if he doesn't find a way to cure Mr. Sardonicus, you know his the woman he loves will be tortured and killed. Um, and he sends away for his various medical things. And at the beginning of the movie, when he was talking about you know, modern science, he also talked about how poisons are poison, but they also have medicinal properties when used in the right amount and the, in the correct way, which isn't unilaterally true, but it is kind of true. Um, so he had some poisons sent to him so he can do some experiments and Sardonicus sees that the experiments are going well. And so he says, okay, now use them on me. And he's like, Uh, It could kill you Do I look like I
1: give a shit? (laughs) Well, you you look happy Um, Like from Hellraiser 4 Or mm. was it 3 or 4 Do I look like the kind of man who cares what God thinks?
0: Yeah Mm. Uh, So his his scheme Is I'm going to give you this injection And then there's more to it than this I'm going to lock you into that secret room By the way, that secret room Has his father's corpse in it You know just for memories And so he's gonna lock him in the room with the corpse And then it's supposed to like shock his system into fixing his face mm. It works It works He's actually, his face is on He can't like move his jaw yet or anything it's hasn't He hasn't moved it in years uh, But he looks like Guy Rolfe The star of Puppet Master 3, 4, 5 and Retro Puppet Master
1: He was too long He was for many films mm. Um William Hickey was Toulon in the first one. That's true. And Greg and Sistero was, was Toulon and Retro Puppet Master. Greg Sistero from the room.
0: Well, Retro Puppet Master, but he was also was he like the other Toulon because he, he was the young t- it was the ah. uh,
1: flashback. He was oh, I the see. young
0: Toulon. Got it. Uh but in any case and, and Sardonicus, I you know, honestly, didn't really think he had it in him. Man of his word. He immediately gets right in the letters saying, Hey, I uh, I hereby annul my marriage. Mm-hmm. Well done to everyone involved And uh, and I let the doctor go Does he want any money? And the doctor's like no, nah, I'm good And he's like Great Ta-ta mm. Or he, he can't say anything But that's that's oh, the gist His
1: his face now seems to be paralyzed And like Back to normal His face is still paralyzed
0: Yeah And, and the idea is That will go back to normal After a while You're gonna have to get mm. used to that And then our hero And the Sardonicus' ex-wife Flee And they're just about to get on the train When Krull, the manservant Shows up and says His face is still stuck like that Like he can't open his jaw Yeah, he can't eat He can't speak He can't drink water He's going to die Unless you come Mm -hmm. back and do something At which point the doctor explains Well I didn't do anything in the first place I gave him a saline solution (laughs) And I tricked him into curing (laughs) himself Because he had a psychosomatic condition And all you have to do is tell him that, and then he'll get over it eventually. And at that point, everyone's feeling pretty good about themselves. And then William Castle shows up and says,
1: Okay. Is that a a good ending for Mr. Sardonicus? Yes? No? No!
0: (laughs) Well, you're the boss, audience. Roll Mm -hmm. the bad ending. Mm -hmm. And then Krull comes back and says, I missed them. There is no cure. And then he just starts eating happily while Sardonicus goes mad. and can't standing. eat anything and he knows he's going to starve to death. What would the good? I think the good ending is just he would have Kroll killed, leaves and
1: then that's it. He well, tells his master that's it. Like Kroll, Well, Kroll tells his end his, and maybe it's like he, he figures it out and his face works again. Is like... I was kind of a dick. i give all my money to charity. And I'm gonna li- no, because he won it in Lotto. It's you know it's not okay. like something he, he earned. It was just a chance. I guess
0: that would be the mega happy ending. So yeah, the, like the it, would be, it would be like ending. a mega happy ending where okay. he sort of
1: like l- gets his face back and starts living a life of, of uh, quiet poverty.
0: I, I guess my point is I saw a, as a perfectly adequate, you know, Sardonicus gets let off the hook too easily, but. It would have been a perfectly adequate ending for just the mm. doctor to explain it's all psychosomatic, it's in his head, you can tell mm. him that, and then Krull leaves and they like, get on the I, train. I, I outsmarted the
1: this jerk.
0: Yeah, man. that would that would be a reasonably okay ending. I like the mm. evil twist ending. I think that's perfectly fair for Sedonicus. He was an asshole. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah. Anyway, that's a great little Tales from the Crypt kind of movie right yeah. there. Just Just mean... And then sadistic, and kind of larger than life, great big giant mm. performances,
1: really creepy atmosphere. It it has this yeah, this wonderful, and this is the, the a quality from a lot of the best of William Castle's movies. This kind of gallows quality to it. Yeah, uh, you compare we compared it to Tales from the Crypt, but that's not just the story. That is this sort of gleeful. Uh, enjoyment of all of the most macabre elements. Yeah.
0: It's not just, like, like, I feel like there's a lot of horror movies that are all about, like, uh, how horrible it is that this happened. Like, a lot of A24 horror movies. They're just taking Mm -hmm. the horror completely dead seriously and viewing them as a tragedy, and that can be highly effective. But there is something to be said for the well, storyteller and the inflection that they give the story. It's the difference you, between, you know, being at a campfire story and have someone tell you the scariest thing ever and being at a campfire and then people, like, holding up a flashlight that says, like, ha-ha, I got gotcha. you! Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's William Castle. Mm-hmm. He's having fun with you, and the contract that he has signed with you is you're going to have fun in return.
1: We, we like, as critics, uh, especially you and I, who are big fans of horror movies, uh, like to... Make the argument, and we've also heard it uh, given other places, that horror movies are cathartic in some sort of way. They're a safe way mm. to look within yourself and deal with real-life fears that you might have. Mm. Okay, that's true. To an extent, yeah. It's not the only reason, but yeah. But also, we like gory shit, Yeah, and being scared is fun. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of conversations about horror don't so readily acknowledge because it should seem self-evident. Yeah. It's fun to be scared. It's fun. It's to... especially fun to be scared in a big crowd. Yeah. With a bunch of other people who are also getting scared.
0: I feel like there's a certain, almost a certain jealousy that we sometimes have over horror storytellers mm. who get to have that impact. Who get to make us shriek. Mm. Um I feel like, you know, we talk about like, oh, it's a cathartic way to deal with our fears. It's also just a safe place to indulge, as Mm. you described, where we can watch murder and mayhem Mm. and villainy. And and then at the end of it, it's just like, ha ha, nobody knows Mm. I enjoyed that a lot. Like that kind of thing. And that that can be perfectly fine, uh, too. But I think there is this weird empathy that we have. I'm speaking for myself, and I know some of the people who feel this way. I almost feel more empathy for horror filmmakers than I do with filmmakers for any other genre, mm. because they get to get a rise out of us. Yeah, they get. To, <laughs> it, it seems like they're enjoying themselves more sometimes, mm. and that right there is something that I connect to on a personal level. When I was a kid, I was scared. To cr- I was scared crapless by mm. horror movies. Oh yeah, like I I would had nightmares. I slept with the lights on. Like I genuinely was terrified. Of Chucky, Jason Voorhees, serial killers as a general concept. Like, I was just terrified of horror stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I think I saw, I'm trying to remember the exact thing. I think it was when I saw Evil Dead 2. Mm -hmm. And I saw that the wires and like the holes in the costumes and everything like that. And I realized someone made this. Yeah. And they got me. And I respected it, and I liked them for it, and it made me want to learn more about filmmaking. Mm. And that's where I'm at now. And as a result, I, I I feel like horror is my favorite genre, not just because it's fun, not just because it can be terrifying, not just because it can be deep, not just because it can be funny or romantic or all these things. It's a very versatile genre. But because I feel a real connection to the filmmakers mm. in a way I
1: don't with most dramas or rom-coms you know with a a lot of horror movies especially really low budget ones and definitely the films of william castle you can feel that the filmmakers are really interested in the stories they're telling you yeah they're doing it because there's sort of a passion to it like they love it It, it's it's look at the shit i came up with yeah even when you get somebody who's really kind of workmanlike about it and is just sort of doing the job somebody like john carpenter Mm -hmm. uh He's a you, brilliant filmmaker but get,
0: he's very efficient.
1: Yeah, he he's he has no romantic feelings about his films. Like I've I've interviewed Don Carpenter before. Yeah. He's like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, I just put a camera down and I filmed it." It's like,
0: yeah.
1: "Well, what what was the idea behind it? I I had a script and I filmed it." What what do you mean the idea? Yeah, this makes like sense to
0: shoot it with this covered. Uh, he's he's got an innate talent for it. In some movies he's thought out more than others, but yeah,
1: yeah he's like, he's his efficiency is his genius. I, I think I'm not sure if he'd even call himself an artist. He's just a a, a guy there running the camera. Yeah. Uh, and you know sitting behind the camera chain smoking there's indeed a, a shot in Halloween where oh, you yeah. see smoke wisp past the camera and that's John Carpenter's cigarette smoke like in in
0: shot I part of me I, I when I was like younger more fanciful and thought that John mm-hmm. Carpenter might do such a thing I wondered if that was an homage to the original The Blob there's Did a scene like in, the ri- in the Blob. there's a scene in the original The Blob which if you've never seen the original 1950s version of The Blob starring a young Steve McQueen very good film holds up very well uh, there's a bit where Steve McQueen is like talking to his date, and then it's it's clearly like at cigarette height. You just see smoke wafting in from the right side <laughs> of the screen. It's clearly someone off the, off camera. Uh-huh. It's clearly a mistake. They clearly didn't think anyone would give a shit because it's a low budget mm-hmm. horror movie. John Carpenter wouldn't have
1: thought to do something no, like would that. Have? <laughs> but I
0: remember thinking to myself, "Oh, what a brilliant demise, that, John Carpenter. You can do no wrong, sir."
1: That's like that, that sounds like something like Edgar Wright would do. Yeah. It's like he's taking notes and trying to read. like like, recreate very specific things for like film trivia. Feels like sort of thing Mel Brooks
0: would notice and turn into a
1: gag. Yeah. 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 Uh, But yeah, John Carpenter, even though he was sort of a workmanlike director, was still very uh, fond of the kinds of things he was telling stories about. And he understood that that horror was something that could be fun. And William Castle loved horror. He loved the scene. Uh, you can find photo shoots of him like eating severed heads at a dinner table. <laughs> uh, he made movies for weird little kids who love this horrific stuff. Yeah. Before there was before there was even famous Monsters of Filmland, he's mm. making it for this subcategory of horror nuts. I feel
0: interesting to me that like I feel like at least within some communities like i know a lot of people at like the showdown uh who think that the horror genre doesn't deserve its own division but we have like inner geekdom and in star wars and i'm like before we had comic book movies that were that successful before we had star wars you know what was keeping geekdom alive as a concept in movies horror mm-hmm from since from the universal movies on down like horror Mm -hmm. horror kids were like reading the magazines playing with the toys talking about who would fight beat who in a fight like i think it's a uh, key part of like the history of the medium
1: yeah the what we refer to as sort of like modern geekdom that is to say uh, a certain type of obsessive uh, fandom Separate from people who just enjoy watching a movie. Yeah, but people, people who will... Who will, who will, will pay, pay closer attention, take notes, yeah. and catalog information, yeah, or, and
0: or... Debate or, other people d- Debate about other people,
1: it. Yeah. or and or even go so far as to collect things. Yeah. That's that's fandom. It's separate. And uh, a brief history of that, uh, Hugo Gernsback, that the Hugo Awards are named after, mm. uh, started having letters columns in his weird science fiction pulp magazines. People started interacting. Modern fandom is born.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and that world was always like kind of there lurking around. Cause when yeah. Hugo Gernsback started opening up those letters columns, mm, people were already there. Uh, people, people were, yeah, the people were there. They, yeah. they started interacting and they loved interacting and they loved having these really deep, completely meaningless debates about you know science fiction stories that they had read in the previous issue. And, uh, yeah, you know, years later, Forrest J. Ackerman would come along and start uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland, which was the same thing for horror movies, and he was one of uh, Hollywood's most notorious uh, memorabilia collectors. I think the Ackermansion, I think it was, I think it was spread out.
2: Uh-huh. I think
1: people snatched up the things in Forrest J. Ackerman's collection and they kind of redistributed them. I'd have to look that up. Yeah. Um, when when he passed away, like, they tried to keep the Ackermansion t- together, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I think they split it up. I don't know. It'd be it'd be really sad though, because it was a great collection. But there was there were some filmmakers who were savvy enough to understand that there were fans already, yeah. people into this weird stuff, and people who were enjoying the fact that they were weird. And yeah. William Castle spoke directly to them. You like the macabre. Boy, howdy, is this weird! The, now the, he he wasn't like mm-hmm. uh, he didn't go so far with like the gore. He wasn't. No, these so, weren't. These uh,
0: weren't. It, there's there's violence. There's some mm-hmm. of these movies are more violent than others. Like there's like a beheading in the movie uh, Straight Jacket. Yeah. Uh, but even that's like in shadow. Like yeah, it's it, a bit more implied. He, he,
1: he wasn't think. like Herschel Gordon Lewis, who's just like yeah. dumping buckets of blood on people on no. camera. No. No, but he he did understand that there's something really really fun to a certain segment of the the film-going public, who are maybe around 10 years old, mm-hmm. uh, who, are, who just really love this idea of death and torture and fear and fright. And what we're talking
0: about, really, <laughs> is a cult audience. And yeah. that's something that connects directly with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, we're going to make a movie that connects really, really strongly with a small demographic of people who get really fanatical about it. People who like the weird, the macabre, the sexual, the kinky... The, the comedic, the bizarre, people who like interacting with the movie. Yeah, that's a great demographic to have. And if you connect with them strongly enough, they will keep your movie alive forever. Yeah. And that's something Rocky Horror has I mean, done very successfully.
1: I, I feel like we don't get too much of that in the modern world uh, because not only are studios uh, hyper-vigilant about what's going to sell to the widest possible audience, the PG-13 rating is now just the only rating we have anymore, it seems. Uh, But I feel like so many filmmakers are being raised in that milieu, take a drink, uh, that there's not so many weird filmmakers really pushing in from the boundaries. You have to really search for them now. Uh, they're, there. they're there. May, they're they might there, not be reaching but, um, the
0: same audience and it might take longer for their work to find a giant audience, mm-hmm.
1: but I, they're out there. There yeah, are people who are still making those weird horror movies. Mm-hmm. There's a bit, um, like like the yep. something like the lighthouse or the witch uh, the 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 a twenty four films, yeah, the stuff from a twenty four occasionally I
0: think is is already building that kind of notoriety yeah.
1: um, uh, occasionally you'll find something like like a kooky animated film, like I think Paranorman mm-hmm. very is very much in line with the the William Castle ethos. I feel like it's it's a question of what size we're talking about mm-hmm. here. and if are if they are they sizable
0: enough to keep screenings of the movie alive every single week? No, but there's mm. a certain class of people where if you bring up the movie The Guest mm. with Dan Stevens, people, their eyes light up because mm. they know that that movie is fucking amazing. And full disclosure, I am on a Schmodown team with one of the stars of that movie, Brendan Meyer. But in my defense, I was singing that movie's praises long before I ever met that guy. Mm. The, the Guest is that kind of weird, wonderful film that like connects with a small group of people. It's not mm. really mainstream, but connects with a small group of people really, really strongly. And that's something that William Castle managed to not just do once. Like, a lot of filmmakers can do that, like, once or twice. He managed to throughout his entire, like, long-standing career and made a wide variety of popular and sometimes less popular but no less great bizarre horror movies. And before we move on, because we could dedicate a lot of episodes to William Castle because we love William Castle so much, uh, are there any other William Castle Mm -hmm. movies you want people to go out of their way to see?
1: If they haven't
0: already, we already mentioned oh, the Tingler. We mentioned the Tingler. Yeah. The
1: Tingler is yeah, one of the best ones. House on Haunted Hill is really terrific. Um,
2: Not my I, favorite, but I, I know yeah, a lot of people love I, it.
1: I love House on Haunted Hill. I love the Tingler. I mean, these are all good. Um, yeah, Straight Jacket is the one with, he, it, it was argued, that he made a couple movies with Joan Crawford and it was yeah. argued that Joan Crawford was the gimmick? Like getting, getting Joan Crawford to star on these sort of yeah. like schlocky horror movies. But, she was in uh, *Straight Jacket*, and she was in *I Saw What You Did*.
0: Uh, *Straight Jacket* was written by Robert Block, who wrote mm-hmm. the novel *Psycho* is based on, yeah. and it's another sort of mind-bending: mm-hmm. Is this person, does this person know they're a killer or not? Movie. Yeah. It's really genuinely good, not like. Oh how eccentric and fun Like no Like a genuinely good Horror movie And I think Joan Crawford Gives a legitimately Great performance In that movie I think she's wonderful In that Um, I I recently uh, Found a a film Thanks to my wife Partner M. Lapis de Silva Who's a big fan of it uh, Called Let's Kill Uncle (laughs) Have you seen that one? Uh, It's been a while. I've I've, I've
1: seen most of these, but yeah, like I I marathon through them like in my early 20s.
0: Let's Kill Uncle is a great movie. It's like you talked about how like there are horror movies for kids. Hmm. That's exactly what Let's Kill Uncle is. It's about uh, a Uh little kid whose rich father dies. His father's played by William Castle in one shot. Uh, And then he is going to an island to be raised by his famous... Soldier father Or Mm. sorry uncle who was an assassin In World War II and has written Lengthily about Various murder techniques And when he gets there his uncle says Well you inherited a lot of money I didn't and now I'm going To kill you good news for you I have to make it look like an accident So Mm. you could Last a while (laughs) just stay on your toes And then he Mm. ends up uh, Getting the idea to Kill his uncle first (laughs) <laughs> which is just such a such a delight. Talk about ghoulish. What a greatly ghoulish uh, storyline. Um, I'm also a huge fan of the original 13 Ghosts. Yeah,
1: that's really fun, too.
0: And it was great. That had a great gimmick where mm. uh, there were these um, kind of like 3D glasses where mm. the old school ones where you had a red pane and a blue pane. Mm. And depending on which pane you looked through, you would either not see any ghosts because you were too scared to look at the ghosts or you would see the ghosts more clearly because the ghosts were, I think blue. And then if you wore red, they would be highlighted or vice versa. Yeah. The, the,
1: the screen turned red and the yeah. ghosts were blue. And if you believe in ghosts, you look through the red and you can yeah. see the ghosts. And if you don't believe in ghosts, you look through the blue and you just see a, a scene yeah. with, you still hear the ghosts. No, no, so you get the gist and, of it. And the design of the ghosts is really cool. They even incorporated the gimmick into that uh, not very good remake of 13 Ghosts. Oh, yeah, where they have goggles uh, to see you, the ghosts. You can't see the ghosts unless you're wearing these special goggles I, I like that it, remake, within the movie. I think that remake
0: is yeah. fun. It's not amazing. But the original is actually mm. like a really great slumber party horror movie. Like, it's got a really good tongue-in-cheek quality to it without, like, completely undercutting the scares. Um, and uh, there's a great... Um, there's a really, 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 really great cameo from is it um, it's a, uh, Margaret Hamilton from uh, Wizard of Oz, where she plays like the landlady or uh, the um, or like the, the the maid, and everyone talks about how she's a witch. <laughs> she was the wicked witch of the west in the Wizard isn't, of Oz. Isn't that cute? Yeah, but it actually goes somewhere and it's really fun. Uh, that movie's great. I hope people see it. Uh, but yeah, William Castle is one of the great filmmakers. He won't talk about enough. And it's been really, really exciting to highlight their work. Yeah. Yeah. Next time on episode zero, uh, we are going to be looking at the work of a certain Williams. Which kind of Williams?
1: What? The Tennessee Williams. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) Based on Tennessee Williams,
1: sorry. That's the weirdest introduction to Tennessee Williams I think I've ever heard. I have to make it interesting. <laughs> we talked about William Castle. Now we'll be talking about Williams, comma Tennessee. <laughs> it's a weird link.
0: Uh, we're talking about Ilya Kazan's controversial 1956 black comedy, Baby Doll, starring Carol Baker, Carl Malden, and Eli Wallach. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about how this film navigated controversy and how it dealt with... Uh, issues which Hollywood wasn't comfortable mm. talking about. Uh and I've actually never seen this one, so I'm actually really excited about this. So uh we will be talking about mm-hmm. Baby Doll next time on Episode Zero. Mm. Podcast where we uh, don't really talk about Rocky Horror. <laughs> yes, even indeed. though it's all about Rocky Horror. Uh thank you everybody for listening. Uh you can by all means if you're so inclined, we would love to hear from you. If you want to talk about William Castle or anything else we discussed in this episode or anything else you want to talk about, you can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We're also on Twitter at critic acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we have a Patreon that's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And at our Patreon, we have a lot of exclusive shows including shows about star Trek, the Academy Awards, Disney, Batman Uh, we're doing commentary Tracks we're going to record a commentary track for Batman And Robin in the next week Mm. or two Uh, And of course you can also vote For future episodes of our various shows On that Patreon Uh, So very special shout out to every single one of our Patrons without whom our shows would Not exist like none of them even the free ones So thank you to everybody who Helps keep this show alive if you can afford To join in we sure would appreciate it And if you can't we totally get it Leave us a review wherever you find us that would really really Help us out a lot Mm -hmm. Whatever star rating you think is fair Write a couple sentences That really helps the show more than than you might think Um, And uh, and of course if you like soap And I hope you do because it keeps us clean We have an Etsy store M. Lapis de Silva and I Called Salt Cat Soap All one word, Salt Cat Soap Look for the picture of Luca biting soap He doesn't do it in real life because it's soap But in sketch form As drawn by M. Lapis de Silva It's very cute and we have a lot of uh, hand-designed fancy soaps. Get them for yourselves. Get them for Mother's Day or Father's Day. Uh, they're they're really nice, and I'm really, really super proud of how they turned out. I've designed a few, but uh, M. Lopez and Silvas are really wonderful, and I hope you check them out because they're great. <laughs> um, and anyway, yeah, that's it for the Rocky Horror Picture Show show.
1: It's called Episode Zero.
0: And until next time, I see you... Sh- Ver with anticipation.